the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew in the 19th chapter. Then children, children, children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. We talk about, in the Old Testament, we talk about the Hebrew people uh, all the time as being God's chosen people. And they were chosen. We don't know why God chose them. I mean, he made a promise to Abraham, you know, way back when. But the Hebrews, Hebrew, the word Hebrew comes from uh, the old word hapiru, and hapiru means rabble. So why would God choose the Hapiru to be his people? Well, only God knows. But he did. And he made them his people. They were his chosen people. And so the typical way that we refer to, the, to them in the Old Testament is the children of Israel, the B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, the sons of Israel. Israel is what Jacob's name became. And so they are descended from Jacob, because it was Jacob and his sons that, remember, ended up in Egypt, and then the slavery and all that stuff. So they are chosen by God, by God to be his people, to be his family. And actually, God set up the model for what that looks like in creation. In a very simple form in the creation story, we see what God's intent was to be our father and and to have a family. So he created Adam and Eve uh, in a special way, different from all the rest of creation. Took special pains to create them. So they were his children in a very special way. And, and he did what any good father would do. He provided for them. So he gave them a place to live. It's the Garden of Eden, uh, wherever that was. It was somewhere in Iraq somewhere around that. That's the only thing we know. Uh, now it's a desert, but, you know. Anyway, uh, he gave them a place to live. He gave them a home. That was their place, provided for all their needs. Whatever they needed to, to eat and stuff, it was all there. He provided for them. He even gave them a job. I mean, that's good, isn't it? He's, he gave them the job of taking care of the place that he had given them to live in. And so they were to have, the text says, dominion over it, and to take care of it, um, and to keep it up. He created them, it said, as male and female, so he created them in a way that they could reproduce, and he told them, so multiply and fill the earth. So he gave them that as well. So he set up everything that he wanted it to be. He spent time, it says, walking in the garden with them in the evening, like father's and parents should do with their children. He spent time doing that. The ideal model for what it means to be the family of God. And then when he was all done, he kind of stood back and he uh, looked over everything and he thought to himself, this is really good. But the family of God over time became people that were sadly in need of redemption. 
And it started right at the beginning. It started right back there with Adam and Eve when, when they decided to kind of take things into their own hands and to take the reins away from God and to hang on to them themselves. And so their motto became, my will, not thine. And that's how they made the decision and fell away. And then after that, things have just spiraled downhill ever since. Even Adam and Eve's first two children, sure, we've, we all know about sibling rivalry, but in this case, one of them killed the other one. And, and it's just been going downhill ever since. And so the whole world has spiraled down and is in serious need of redemption. And so we have a world where things are so out of balance that there are people all over the world that are starving when there's more than enough food in the world to feed everybody. But people are starving because countries and individuals have their own interests in mind and not taking care of the other people. There are millions of people every day that die because they don't have enough food or because their water is tainted. Uh, and I know in Guatemala, the, I've been down there, uh, the statistics are 20% of all children die before they're five. In other places in the world, like Africa, 50% die before they're eight. And it's usually bad water, diarrhea, and they die from it. And so the world has really is really messed up because of the way things are so unbalanced. We've got a world now that, that glorifies uh, relationships that can't produce, reproduce, you know, which was the design, but that's, the whole world is that way. It's everywhere in the whole world. It's not just here. That, that happens to be an issue here now, but it's the whole world. We've got a world that, that accepts and encourages, in a lot of cases, the murder of unborn children. You know, we're horrified when we read in the Old Testament about the god Moloch and about how the people and even Israelites at some point were sacrificing their children, their firstborn. We're sacrificing them to this god for whatever reason, for fertility or whatever. But we have a world that thinks it's okay to sacrifice unborn children to the god of convenience or whatever you want to call it. The world is seriously in need of redemption. And we sit here <clears throat> as a group of Christians and as part of God's family, and we think to ourselves, yeah, boy, it is, it's really true, and it's really a mess out there, and there's so much that we, that we need to do. And so in a lot of cases and what a lot of churches do, they'll say a couple of prayers and throw a couple of dollars at a problem and feel like it's been okay. But you know what? We're part of the problem. Because what it's going to take in order to redeem the world and to solve some of those problems is for people to make sacrifices. And by very definition, a sacrifice is something that hurts a little bit. It's having to give up something in order to accomplish something. You know, kind of like Christ did, okay? That was a sacrifice, okay? And that was a sacrifice for redemption so that these orphans in the world could be adopted and become part of the family of God. 
But I wonder, when we sit here, how many of us have ever really sacrificed for God's other orphans and children out there that need help? How many of us have really sacrificed to the point that it cost us something? That it hurt a little bit? That we had to actually give something up for the benefit of somebody else? Well, I can't answer for you. I can answer for me, not much. I do what everybody else does, you know, and I donate to things and I pray about things, you know, but I haven't given anything up. You know, y'all know I like to read, and I started another book by David Platt called Counterculture, and and he hit me right between the eyes when he starts out in there and, and the... The first chapter he deals with an issue, he's dealing with poverty. <laughs> he's dealing with, you know, and he talks about, he, he and his wife have made the sacrifices, okay? And most of the people in his congregation, a lot of them in Birmingham, this big church, have made the sacrifices. Even downsizing homes and giving money away. But I'm thinking, have I, I haven't really done that. And in that sense, sins of omission, I guess. In that sense, we are part of the problem. So we are part and have contributed to a world that needs redemption. And so here on the scene pops Jesus. And he shows up coming and looking for the orphans, looking for those people that need redeeming, and taking care of the poor and the oppressed and the lonely and the hurting people that are out there. And then we have such a great example of where Jesus' heart is in that little short gospel lesson that we read today. Because the kids were clamoring to get close to Jesus and their parents were bringing them, you know, and they wanted to be there. Well, in those days, children children had no status, no standing in society at that time. They were to be seen and never heard, okay? Just stay in the background until you get to your adulthood, which was your bar mitzvah, you know, or bat mitzvah. But until then, you were nothing. And here they are, parents are bringing their children to Jesus. <clears throat> and the disciples, they were just hanging in there like they're supposed to, like society says. No, don't bother him with these kids. And Jesus put his disciples down. And he said, no. He said, let the children come to me because it's people like this that make up the kingdom of God. Children who were giddy with excitement to come and and see Jesus and and maybe some of them were healed of, of certain things. But that's what Jesus came looking for. And so Jesus came looking for you. He came to find you. In John 15, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And so Jesus came and he chose you. From before the world God knew he would choose you. But Jesus came and chose you. And by following him and making him a part of your life, and then 
you are adopted, specially chosen to be part of God's family. In reality, we are the hapiru. <laughs> we are the rabble. And for whatever reason, God chose you and sent Jesus to come and get you and to bring you into the family. So here we are, God's people. And Jesus just says, you know what? All I want is I just want to give you all a big hug. <laughs> you know, like he, I'm sure he did the children that were brought to him. He says, I just want to give you a big hug. But since he's not standing around here right now, he says, but I'll give it to you through the person that's on your left or your right or somebody that you see. That's how you'll get it. Just want to give you a hug. I want to leave you with a thought. Uh, there are, and I've kind of alluded to it already, but there are a lot of people in the world, a lot of God's orphans or God's children out there that need a hug, okay? that need something, that need to know that God cares about them in some way. You and I are the ones that are supposed to do that. That's our job, is to give them hugs. And, you know, and, that, and that may mean making a little bit of a sacrifice, something that might cost us a little something digging a little deeper in our energy and our time and our volunteering or even our pocketbooks, whatever. Whatever it takes, whatever God leads us to do, we are the ones that should be making a sacrifice and he's probably not ever going to ask us to make the kind of sacrifice Christ did. But to make a sacrifice for the ones that he is seeking out there, for the orphans that he's looking for out there. So I'm going to borrow and paraphrase John Kennedy's statement. Ask not what God can do for you, child. Ask what you can do for God's children.